Good morning and a happy Friday to you folks. Today, accountability is the word of the day. It is accepting responsibility for your actions and being willing to be answerable to the outcomes of your choices, your decisions, and those actions that you so chose to do. Now think about that for a second. Accountability equates to living with integrity, living in integrity, being consistent with your thoughts, your words, your actions. Once you take ownership in your actions and accountability, it is amazing how your independence will grow and your collaboration with others too. And the beauty about accountability is the first step is awareness. Folks, let's have an awesome Friday. Friday, Friday, Friday. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Telling you, the shark is the smartest animal on the planet. The shark. It's much smarter than the human. The shark has been around since the days of the dinosaur. The shark controls 70%. Is it still 70% of the ocean or the Earth's surface is ocean? 70 or 75%. Okay. I can't remember if it's 70%. (laughs) It's going up, actually. So It might be 80% by the end of the show. The shark is the smartest. Just because we can make a bomb and blow ourselves up doesn't mean we're smart. Absolutely. Folks, welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. That's the type of witty banter and conversations we have on a Friday. What did you say was the smartest? A whale? No. No. No, we were talking about dolphins. Dolphins, like that's that. what but No, was. man, you're absolutely right. Sharks, man, they don't have to change. They just eat, make little sharks, and keep eating. They have no conscience. Yeah. They don't, do they? I don't know. They got those. I mean, I grew up with Jaws the movie, so of course I've got that. You know, they've got them dead eyes staring well, at you. When you think about it, really, okay, sharks are not only the king mm-hmm. of the ocean. I think only the orca... The, uh, the killer, the killer whale, whale is yeah. the only one that can really take on a great white. Yeah. Okay. They, they, in their pod, right? The pod they're sure. called, uh, right. a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, a bunch a, of, a that's, a, that's, that's a technical term. But I believe the scientific. actual scientific term is, is a pod. That's, yeah, I think so. A pod of whales. A plethora. Uh, they, for, they, there's something like the sack or there's something in the liver. I think it's the liver. Okay. That liver they, sack. they want. It's like the foie gras. Ooh. That's like their, you know, their ooey gooey candy. Their ooey gooey candy. Yeah. yeah. And so the, the great white shark, that's real only, only predator is a pod of these killer whales. Yeah, predator, I believe that. You know, I, I've heard of dolphins being able to fend them off, but of course dolphins have no interest in eating a shark. So as far as I know, humans are the only animal that kills for sport. I think so. I mean, seriously, I don't know. Like a pack of domesticated wild I mean, I've, dogs. I've seen my cat kill for sport, but that was... They might, yeah. Cats yeah. are actually considered the most fierce animal on the planet. I believe it. Because of the... Uh, it's not because of the mice, because mm-hmm. of the songbirds. Because of huh. the amount of... So- they kill thousands of songbirds <laughs> a year. Oh, yeah. If you Google wow. most dangerous animal on the planet, it will come up house cat. None of the cats I owned would fall into that category. They were just lazy 
fat blobs oh, laying they, in the sun. They still got that cat light instinct. You <laughs> yeah, know, they, they think cr- they do. Yeah. They crawl. Yeah. Oh no, they crawl, and then they, yeah. and then they get the songbirds the and, and everything. And so, yeah, there's live science, and you know, all these scientific publications will always come out. With well, that. hey, I would never want to wake up one day and be like a six inch person next to my cat. I mean, that he'd mm-hmm. be like, and that'd be it. We had a cat where we kept the claws, the front claws on, mm-hmm. and that cat would bring us a mouse or a songbird every single day. That's rent, Drop baby. It right <laughs> off. And, exactly. He was paying rent. <laughs> Folks, this is the Crude Life Morning Show. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spies, and we're having a pretty wild conversation here on a Friday morning because we've got a wild show. Bailey Midkiff from WIC may or may not be calling in. He's an hour behind us. Okay. So he's living in the past, man. I don't ever expect anybody to call in. It's pretty early still. Five or six o'clock, yeah, like seven in the morning. Oh, dark 30 here. You know, I don't expect that, but he may be calling in okay. with WIC. He's been, man, he's been hustling lately. He was up in Casper. I think I saw him down in the Permian and a few other places. So he might be chiming in. Coming on in the work hard portion of the program, we have Tiffany Steiner and Jackie Jenkin, co-founders of the Bach and Barbecue. They're going to talk to us. Boy, I tell you, it was it was a, a fun time over the last few weeks, kind of talking with them about uh, just getting ready for actually this interview. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they need to be ready for it, but we we wanted to wait till the Women's History Month, you know, because we were going to do it a few weeks ago. But then I was going to do the API thing, and yeah, and then we were going to do a live interview where the three of us <laughs> sat down at the API. Plans thing. changed. Well, that doesn't happen when you've got open bar. Yeah, no, nobody's going to sit down and do an interview. Nobody wants to. It might you know, be kind of slurry. We don't want any record of this. Right, right? yeah. This so, is, can you turn that off, please, sir? Oh, that's all of my parties, by the way. If, mm. if you ever come to one of my house parties, which I don't think you've ever come to. I don't. Think. We don't allow uh, electronic devices. What? You can't have your phone. No stereo? No, you got to check it into the Skinner box oh, man. at the what, door. What is that, like a swingers no, club thing? You no, put it's not. In a bowl? It's, the, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> we just don't want... No, know? I hear you, man. It's a nice way to unplug. And it originally started not even because of the pics. I, I don't care about that. You can post pics all day long if you're right. at one of my lame-ass parties. It's more that, hey, you're here to have a conversation with the people in the room. You're not here to see what's going on Facebook. Right. You're not here to see what's on LinkedIn. Yep. You're not here to check out whatever's on Yahoo.com right now. Or Dude, most of us people. walk around with our phones surgically attached to our hands, basically. I love know? those uh, surveillance photos of everybody staring at their hands, walking in unison down like New York streets. Yeah. It's, it's scary-ass 1984 It's creepy, footage. man. Okay, where are we at? Bach and Barbecue before we yeah. get too off. So, How many years have you done it? The ninth year is coming up. Ninth year. And when we were talking with the, with the girls about it, just it was a very difficult last couple of years because, you know, they cracked the 100,000 and then COVID happened. But uh, for years, you couldn't, we couldn't get over that 50,000, 60,000 mark, which was incredible in itself. But yeah. When I saw the the last nine years of donations, it was just kind of fun to watch how there was about four years of what I call the treading water or maybe taking a step back, you know, mm-hmm. if you will. And then all of a sudden, springboard, four steps forward. So it's not, you know, two steps forward, three steps ahead or whatever. Right. What is it? One step forward, two steps back? Yep. No. 
Two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps. It depends on what you're talking about, man. You're supposed to end up ahead. Generally. Okay. Yeah. Wait, that's it's gotta be your bowl. <laughs> put your put your head up the bowl of the butcher with the Tommy boy. Wait, it's gotta be your bowl. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Yeah, I love that. I do. <laughs> He's trying to close oh, that deal. Man. Wait, it's gotta be your bowl. <laughs> love that. Anyways, uh, focus, focus. I just it's had Friday. one of those moments. Yep. Work hard portion of the program. Tiffany Steiner, Jackie Jenkins, the co-founders of the Bakken Barbecue will be on that. And um, they're going to talk about, you know, some women who've influenced their life as well as some of the sponsors who've been there since day one. Hey, if we talked about uh, our business idea. Which one? The pop-up. Ah, yeah. The pop-up businesses. Yeah. Yeah, we okay. talked about we talked the other day about doing like a pop up. Uh, it's the pop up podcast, right? Yeah, there you go. Just the, pop up and do a pop up podcast where it's it's a one off podcast. That's right. it. Just boom, boom. It's there. Nobody you've ever heard of, right? Just boom. But you're known <laughs> as the pop up podcast. Just boom. All of a sudden, you know, it's and it might be, and maybe it's like you know, podcasters. It's it's their main event, the one that they're the most proud of. So. Yeah. You're kind of the aggregate then for other podcasters. I don't know. I did that name popped up in my head the other day, pop up podcast, yep. and I thought, there you go. Well, we, we we live in a day and age where you start with the name and work backwards. And you work backwards, right? yeah. You start with the punchline, you, yeah, or you absolutely. get the website. Yeah, yeah, You've, yeah. <laughs> man, I don't know how many people I know. They've probably owned thirty to forty websites of awesome business ideas. I, I've got fifteen. Yeah, I own fifteen of them. Yeah. Well, I mean. Honestly, um, well, the industrial forest, right? Yeah. Well, that's a given. You got to have that. But that's I actually say something it's, doing. Something. I, I want to say that we also own the United Forest. No, the United Forest of America. Yeah, that's what it is. The see, backup. that seems like a good the one. United Forest of America. Well, that was the backup in case the industry didn't work. Okay. You know, we, we well, we had to have a couple backups. Yeah. You always got to have a meat lovers pizza in the trunk, man. <laughs> Tommy boy, didn't right? We, did, that, yeah, man. This is like your not this, get our wisdom from Tommy. This is boy? our business philosophy comes from. You know what I like about nowadays? We've been talking about the idea of like pop up restaurant food trucks, right? Yes. You know where you've got different restaurants that that rent your food truck. You you know, for a week or something like that it, with COVID pop-up delivery, pop-up art installation. I don't know, man. There's something there. It sounds like a lot of work though. That's why I like Our the sh- pop-up podcast yeah. because that's all website based. You just do you, a couple You want strokes. more web work? I don't. No. <laughs> I was no I'm say. trying to take away things. No, I, know. I, just wrote, I wrote that down. Okay. That's a good one. Then I wrote down uh, Women's History Month. Okay. Okay. And we've got our... We've been talking about that. Interviews, uh, by the way, at thecrudelife.com. If you'd like to check those out all month long, we're featuring women from the past and present here on The Crude Life. And uh, today we're doing a couple uh, interviews with uh, Jackie Jenkins and Tiffany Steiner. Of course, yesterday we had Michaela Hager mm-hmm. making history every day with the canine pipe inspections. That was awesome. And we also uh, talked with... And the Chewy Paws, of course. Lauren. Lauren, yep. Gira with Lauren the Gira. San Antonio Pipeliners, as yep. well as the Austin, Austin Montana, Montana Project. Project. That sounded very interesting. It's a great name, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it really is. It just, just gets right in there. Reminds me of the King of, King of the Hill when Hank and the family, they go to Montana, and Henry Winkler, the Fonz, the Henry Fonz, Winkler. Yep. Owns the neighboring land and won't let the cattle go through anymore. And it's a shows the issue of Hollywood coming in and buying up the old 
you know, land and right. muscling their way in. Muscling and in. The, the old people don't like it. <laughs> the old guard don't like it. They don't talk cowboy way. Right. Yeah. You so, got to have a translator up there, man. That's what that name kind of reminded me of. But anyway. Hey, we got some good names. Dakota, Montana, Wyoming. Come on. These are great. March Madness is happening, folks. March Madness. The pool, the pool's almost filled. Yeah, Selection Sunday's not we, too far away. We got a few left, a few openings, because it's coming. It's coming. So we're, we're going to have to get things rolling here yeah. soon. We're going to have to get the tournament up and, up and running and uh, find out yes. who's going to be matched in which bracket. We're going to have to come up with the bracket names. Well, that'll be kind of fun. Bakken region, Marcellus, yeah, Marcellus region, region, Permian region. Might have to do the Eagleford this year. Did the Powder River last year. Might That's right. To, That's you know, right. Might have to get rid of the Bakken and just call it the Rocky Mountain Region. Really? Just kind of lump that all together? Well, right? that's technically what it is called. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Bakken is part of yeah. the Rocky Mountain Region. Well, last year we kind of blew it open to let anybody in that wanted in. Because I, of... Well, we went more by by where the companies were from. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of in that area. but Conferences almost. We didn't really have a Southeast Region. Kind of... Had a, oh, they, were under, they were underrepresented, though. They had Marcellus. They no. were the East Coast. So. <laughs> All right. So, folks, if you want to go ahead and join the March Madness, feel free. By the way, did you read the uh, Albert Pujols story? I want to do just a little sports, sports, sports before no, no, we no, I did not. move on to the next segment. And Lay we it on take me. A break. So, Albert Pujols, somebody the, – the one thing about these podcasts that's really interesting is that um, – Little nuggets of weird information are just coming out left and right mm-hmm. about, you know, just weird things. And so great for trivia night. Well, and the internet is ten percent original content, ninety percent reaction yeah. and regurgitation to that ten percent original content. And actually I think it's almost like ninety-five percent. I think five. it's creeping up every year, man. It's Essentially it's just a virtual bathroom reader. The original is shrinking. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing it on the news stories now. How they just copy and paste forty to fifty percent of the ape not not so much Associated Press, but a lot of these quote unquote news sites. You're seeing it, man. Dude, I've never been much for grammar. In fact, I honestly suck, but my seventh and eighth grade teachers would be scolding these. I mean, there's like no editing on half this stuff it that is, comes out it of is, here. It's an exercise in dystopian behavior. Well, I'm trying to read an article or a headline to you out loud and realizing that if I read it the way it's written, it's not going to make any sense. It's like if I just said a bunch of words, blah, 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 blah. These are professional, it, apparently. professional writers mm-hmm. that I wouldn't even let my eighth grade son. He's a ninth now, so it just makes me wonder what kind of education my teenager is getting right now. But when you look at a lot of these stories, I mean, you got to read five, six paragraphs in, and you're like, we, before we you know got... what the hell they're talking about, and and now you don't even know what the headline is See, anymore. I wonder if if that has if if something to blame for that isn't just the journalism or the lack of it, but it's also the fact that we're beholden to SEO. No, it's because it's keywords, it's algorithm, it's it's a little bit of that, but it's also because they don't have anything to say. Yeah, they don't have anything to say. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that the newspaper industry <laughs> taught me is that the radio industry will teach you <laughs> that even if there isn't any news, you have to report it like there is. Right, somebody's so, still got to be talking, no matter what. It's a touchdown. Yeah, right. You, know, you just gotta, you gotta just go over the top. Well, it's about emotion. And anywho, so I, I just, I, not even sure how I even got on this. Sports, thing. sports, sports. You wanted to talk a little. Elbert Pools. 
Remember Albert Pujols? Yes. You do. Okay. I do. Kinda. Albert Pujols was one of one of the best baseball players of yep. all time. Well, all these Apparently the owner of the is it the Marlins on this podcast. He said he knows for a fact that Albert Pujols was not the age that he said he was. Really? When he was in contract negotiations. So how is he lying about it? Well, because he's from the Dominican Republic, and there was apparently a lot of players that lied about their age. And so there's in the story I was reading, there was a couple examples of, there was a guy who played for the Rangers, actually, got signed by the Texas Rangers. And they found out later that he was two years, so he threw 80 miles an hour in the mid-'80s, which is not that great. For somebody who's 18. Okay. But if you're 16, well, the scouts want you. Oh, So that's sure. what he did. Nice. Well, then he made it to the major. Well, he turned out he had about a 10-year kind of lackluster career. I was so going to say, that's got to catch up eventually. He was one of the few successes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That actually, he squeaked yeah. in and was able to keep going. The other one was Miguel, Miguel Tejada, who ended up being an MVP. He lied about his age, said he was 17 when he was 19. And okay. before he, when he was 19, he didn't get any scouts looking at him. And then he was 17, he got scouts looking at him. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious, It man? is absolutely hilarious. That's, you know, because you're looking at the same person. You're watching them yeah. practice or whatever, but the difference in the number of their age is totally affecting how you interpret what they're doing. No, you sound like people lecturing me on my dating life. Well, no, and that just seems, I mean, that just seems sad. The difference between 17 and 19. No, you're joking. Now we're not talking about my dating life anymore. Okay, what now? <laughs> but it's true, though. Well, like Dennis Rodman, he didn't uh, mature until he was in college. He grew six inches in college. Yeah, I mean, and you could make the argument that he hasn't finished maturing yet. Really. And what's the old, uh, I don't even know if it's true or not, but Michael Jordan got cut by his, jun- his junior year or something like that, a sophomore year. Yeah, cut. I've heard that, but I don't yeah. know if it's, you know, if it's apocryphal. Don't or, know either. Yeah, All yeah. I know is I used so to hear like it my mist. whole life. Yeah. But anywho, so that's, uh, I just thought I'd bring that up about the, the line of the age because that headline kind of caught my attention. And mm-hmm. I... We like to do a little bit of sports on Friday, and I know we don't have sports today, so I just wanted to talk about sports. You're a little, sports, bit, of, you're sports, a little sports. bit of a baseball nut, too. Baseball is probably the best sport to play, the worst to watch. The worst to watch. <laughs> Football is the best to watch on TV. Yeah. Okay. Hockey is the best to watch live. Absolutely. The worst on TV. Oh, man, it's impossible. Basketball's right in the middle. You know, it's kind hey. of fun to go to live. It's kind of fun to watch on TV. Not the best either way. No. Basketball is nice because you can jump in for three minutes, see something, jump yeah. out. Hockey, yeah. though, you got to be there live, yeah. and it doesn't even matter what's going on. Man, just that whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I pay more attention forth. to the crowd a lot of times. Right. <laughs> and then in football, being there live, it sucks. Oh, man. I mean, being being there up in the whatever seat, and, yeah. and, the, and if, it, if the game's on the other side of the field and everything else, you're, you're just watching the big screen. Yeah. And it's paying ten dollars for those nachos. So it's but anyway, yeah. but baseball. I love baseball, and I you know I had a couple pro tryouts, and they both said you're never going to make it to the pros, and they were right. I have enjoyed watching baseball. I've seen the Twins play a couple of times. I saw back when Kirby was playing, uh, mid nineties or something like that. Yeah. All right, stuff. we got just about thirty seconds, and I got to tell this quick story. Do it. It's a Friday, and I'm a little bit loose today. So um, <laughs> this is back when fans could go to the game. Mm-hmm. But it was the Detroit Tigers, so nobody was nobody there. was going to. And the it was game. the day game. Okay. It was like 
opening weekend or something like that. So it like was a Tuesday at and noon. And kind of rainy, drizzly. Oh, okay. Right. It was a Tuesday at noon. <laughs> totally, right? Well, my good friend Brad, the uh, oh yeah, uh, the old hippie, the crude life, yeah, the guy who got arrested uh, stumping for McGovern and the Vietnam War, and wow, I mean, the guy who says Bernie Sanders is not progressive enough. Whoa, we got to get him on the right. show. Oh yeah, he's 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 got a big mural of Che Guevara in his kitchen, right? <laughs> so okay, <laughs> nice. Okay, so uh, Brad, right? Yeah, right. Uh, he's a big f- fantasy nut, fantasy okay. football, okay. fantasy baseball. For a while, he would actually print out all the sports games with which direct TV channel they were attributed to and Whoa. put them on a clipboard. So he was organized. He was organized wow. because... That's focused, man. He was a, he was a basement dweller, okay. like a lot of hippies are. Yeah. They live in the basement, <laughs> okay? Beanbags and, and kinda, he was He kind of was the, 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 the domesticator. He used mm-hmm. to be called the housewife, you know, Mr. Mom, Mr. Michael Mom. Keaton. Sure, yeah. But he was the domesticator, so he did a lot of the, the chores around the house. He worked from home. Mm-hmm. Well, his wife had the office job, right? Nice. So I could do he would, that. He would just be the basement dweller watching baseball all day, right? <laughs> yeah, that sounds relaxing. So one day I pop by there. Oh, this is so funny. So I pop by there, and he's got. And the only game that's really on is like the Detroit Tigers and the <laughs> Cleveland Indians, and the Cleveland Indians aren't any good. So it's like two of the worst teams in baseball. Right. There's nobody at the game, and. The announcers are just trying to hump <laughs> along, right? But but Brad's got like four players, mm-hmm. so he's got the game on. Okay, so we're just sitting downstairs. It's on. It's kind so of so fantasy background. baseball makes a game like that worth watching. Yeah, maybe. and it's and it's noon, afternoon, whatever. Right. Nothing else on. So sure. he's just got it on. More of white noise in mm-hmm. the background and this and that. And so we're just talking, catching up, and all of a sudden they they show left field. There's one guy out in left field. Like, seriously, the entire left field. It's like when Charlie Sheen bought the whole outfield so he could catch a home run ball. It was like that, <laughs> except for he was the only one that bought right. a ticket, right? And he's got one of those uh, those uh, uh, umbrellas, mm-hmm. those those um, uh, seat umbrellas yeah. where you actually sit. Okay, and he's got kind of a cooler next to him. So, I mean, this guy Dude's just camping, camping out, camping man. Out, nice. Right? So the announcers are like... Look at that, a diehard fan. It's great to see opening day. Look at him. And all of a sudden, they pan in on him. And at that moment in time, takes a hit on his ball. <laughs> takes a big old bong hit on his ball. And all of a sudden, you hear just dead silence for like five seconds. And then all Oops. of a sudden, you, you hear one guy. Yeah, right. He's like trying to hold, trying to Jimmy Fallon, hold yeah, back the laughter. Just not break the fourth wall there. And then they go to the pitch. And they still, dead silence. And all of a sudden, the one guy goes, oh, I hope we didn't get him in trouble. And then they go to the game, but I thought, this poor bastard. Right. Hey, Frank, we saw your stoned ass on TV. So that's why you were sick today, Frank? (laughs) Right. A little work? I'm not coming in today. All right, folks, we got to take a quick break. We come back. More? Well, who knows? We come back. Friday. Who knows, man? Well, I'm doing okay I'm here for the moment You know and then I'm on my way Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. 
The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by The Bakken Barbecue. In 2013, The Bakken Barbecue was created as a collaborative effort to raise money within the community. This family-friendly event raises money to help make a difference within the communities in the Bakken Shale Place. Since their first year, the Bakken Barbecue has not only achieved their goal annually, but it's added to the list of positive impacts within the Bakken. For more information, visit their website, BakkenBBQ.org. That's BakkenBBQ.org. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... Chewy Paws, all-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA-sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z, dot com. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Show. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. And then on our Swan Energy phone lines, we've got Bailey Midkiff with WIC down in the Permian. And now I know why. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Hello. Hello. <laughs> now, now I know why I was so confused in the last segment because you're down in the Permian. And here I thought you were still in the Wyoming. And um, so I thought you were in the mountain time zone, but you're down in the central time zone. So what's Man going on move. in the Permian Basin, Bailey? You know, not as much as we all thought. When uh, I mean, there was this big concept, right? So boom, there was this freeze, chaos. Everybody thought there was going to be subsidiaries, you know, this government funding. They got to make sure they put infrastructure in to avoid all this. On top, you know, the, the high rig count, you think there would just be wealth and enough for everybody to go around. But, I mean, everybody's pretty well taken care of down here, Jason. They're good. Uh, there's... You know, there's no 100 mile an hour trying to reach beyond the area to, you know, find those people to help maintain what's going on. That's interesting. Of course, you, you, you do outside of oil and gas as well. You get industrial, municipalities, et cetera. When I was up at the API uh, Dickinson event, speaking at that last week, uh, they, um, it was interesting because I talked to a handful of people, let's say three three different people that just got back from the Permian. I mean, they just got back probably a day or two ago from when I talked to them. And they all said the same thing. And keep in mind, this was different types, different times throughout the night. And these were not, you know, we were not all standing next to each other. 
And it was that, you know, with 200 rigs, you think that there'd be more business to go around, but it seems like it's pretty well managed and taken care of. And there's not as much opportunity as one would have thought. And, you know, so hearing your message almost kind of reiterates that. Now, it's not saying there's not opportunity down there, but it, it seems like it's pretty well taken care of and managed, huh? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's such it's such a, what would be a good word, smothered market? or I mean, it's already so well taken care of. They have so many different companies here in so many different in- industries, right, to maintain each piece of that from start to finish, you know, from engineering, well pad to all that. I mean, it's all... They have everything at the palm of their hands. I mean, and some of this stuff is relatively close. You know, heck, Odessa and Midland are the same in my mind, right? So if somebody's in Odessa, they're like five minutes away. Yeah. Saturation. Saturated market. That's the word I was looking for. I I figured as much, yeah. Uh, Soaked market. I like that, though. I do like that. that, That's a good one. I'm going to steal that one. I'm going to use that today. I'm going to find a use somewhere. Sounds friendlier. I'm going to be making my way down to uh, Odessa Midland next week for the uh, it's the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners cook-off. So that should be a that should be a good time. Do you do you barbecue much at all, Bailey? You know, I hate to admit it. Here's a little secret. I I clean. I I mean, I do everything, but I do not cook. I am probably one of them rare one-offs, you know, and it, it's funny, Zach, because, you know, with all the guys I deal with, you know, people like Traegers, and, you know, they have all these sweet recipes, and they'll invite me over to their house, and, like, let's say I'm in Midland, and I have a buddy, and they'll cook, like, some lemon pepper chicken breast amazingness off of, like, Amazon or Google or Pinterest, <laughs> and I, I've never been part of that. I, I think it's just because being in the oil and gas my whole life, and, like, that's all I did, it just... I just worked, right? So when it came home, you ate, and that was it. I never, yeah. So I hate to admit it to all those ladies out there that you know LinkedIn stalk me and really know that I'm single. I don't. Cook. <laughs> <laughs> the secret's out. Yep. So the other question I had for you: If you're down in, in the Permian down there, in fact, the last time I was down there was right after Trump lost. And I got into a room of about 150 people. I was at uh, one of those uh, industry functions. And, boy, it turned into a succession meeting. Um, Boy, an impromptu, yes, Texas needs to succeed. Let's move the border north. You know, forget building it down in south of Mexico. Build it north, you know. Build the wall. Yep. And uh, so it was interesting to see such passion, such real, raw, authentic passion Whereas, you know, I've never been around anything like that before. So that was that was a new thing for me. Um, what are you experiencing down there? Is, is anybody kind of uh, talking about this new climate envoy? I, yesterday, I, I really lost my shit when I was, when Sterling was going through the news and talking about, well, first of all, the climate envoy, because I'm very upset that there's even a climate czar and a climate envoy now. I mean, how is... How is the fact that, you know, the United States government has been building these departments not being talked about ever? Secondly, I didn't understand how John Kerry now is in control of the narrative. And so this morning, I kept saying to Sterling, we got to read that story again, because I don't think I'm interpreting that right. So anyway, is anybody talking about any of this stuff down there with the climate change or moving the border north or anything like that <laughs> bailey <laughs> you know it's, it's funny you bring this up so last night i had this amazing dinner and it was like l fiance so 
I, I don't, I'm not very good with Spanish, so I can't exactly tell you what the, the nomenclature was. But I do know it was a restaurant that Donald Trump ate at when he came to the event in Midland, Odessa. So that's kind of what happened. He's like, you got to come here. Amazing tacos, so on and so forth. And this was with Keith Stetler. You know if you know him or not, but he's a, he's kind of a LinkedIn mogul, so to speak. So he's been, I think, out of work for eight months, but he, his posts are epic. I mean, his content's amazing. He's making quite a movement. One of his really funny ones, just to off real quick, is he's holding one of them boom boxes. And his truck's right behind it, but he's like at a big office in Midland and holding it up. You know, like that movie? I can't remember that 90s movie. Yeah. You know, like, say anything. Back, but like, yep. Please take a meeting. It was an epic pose. <laughs> <laughs> I actually that saw that. That was, the, who, what's his name? Yeah, that was Keith all- Stetler. Keith Stetler. Yeah, I had dinner with him last night, and he brought up what you're bringing up. And I haven't heard, you know, this is the second time somebody's brought it up, so I need to look into it, because I haven't read into this. But he he kind of brought it up, too. He just didn't go in depth, because obviously I haven't followed it, and apparently I'm going to have to spend some time at lunch and catch up. Yeah, it's it's different. I mean, Sterling noticed yesterday that when we were doing the news, that uh, the big three now, Exxon, Shell, and BP, that's who we consider the big three. Is that right? Yeah. That's who was in the story yesterday? Chevron. Yeah, Chevron. That's, Chevron? That's the big yeah. three. Chevron. So we'll say the b- final four. No, not the final four. No, the big four. <laughs> the big okay. Four. Hopefully not the final four. The final four, it's, it's WIC at the end. Right, right. <laughs> what's, what's that great Parks and Recs? Uh, Exxon, Chipotle, Verizon. They're all yeah, one big company more. now. <laughs> and so, but uh, Sterling noticed, because Sterling reads the news here. He's, a, he's in charge of the news because I can't take it. I cannot take reading the news anymore as, as poorly as it is written. In fact, we call it news, rumors, and newspeak because it, it's just not even close to what it was 10, 15 years ago. In fact... You can go back to when George Bush Jr. took office and start reading. In fact, even Clinton took office and start reading some of the presidential transcripts. It is just, it creeps you out. That I can't believe I'm going to jump in and say this, but did they ever release those um, secret documents about like UFOs? That's, a, that's been in the news lately now. In fact... Um, because they have to, right? They can hold on to it so much, and I'm laughing like, yeah, there's we're gonna get a page full of just black lines, right? There's a new, uh, there's a new movement now that there's gonna be a false flag of UFOs coming, you know, to control the planet. Tyler oh, Dur- gosh. T- Tyler Durden <laughs> over at Zero Hedge. He's got that okay. going on. Oh, Zero Hedge is great. If you've never checked out the the like the weird out there stuff, yeah. Oh yeah. They, they hit it every now and then, you know, so they just... <laughs> and life is weird enough. I don't need any new conspiracies. Well, it's funny you say that because, so, I'm a Freemason, and I, I was the youngest one in Wyoming when I was 18, and I don't know how many people ask me, like, weird questions, right? Because you got History Channel and stuff just going out there just way out, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the stuff I get asked, you wouldn't, it would blow your mind. <laughs> well, as the conspiracy, man, the Freemasons control the world. They're actually the Illuminati. Illuminati so, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's the that's the whole thing. <laughs> has to do with numbers and angles. And anyway, before we really kind of lost all of our listeners and went, <laughs> went, into, went into Alex Jones' crazy town USA here, what uh, what were we talking about? The, the James Carey or Jim Carey? Or? You were talking about the climate envoy. Climate. 
John Kerry? Yeah, John, John Kerry. Kerry. You were yeah, you were asking Bailey the about big three. what he's been hearing down there. Sterling yeah. noticed in the news, because he's been reading the news, that uh ever since Biden got elected, they they've started using the word transition instead of all the above. Or oh, in, wow. yeah, oh yeah, he noticed that. And I, I agree with him. So it's it was very different how at the top, they, they, it's almost like they're starting to use some of the language that, well, what, what's her nuts? The uh, U.S. Secretary uh, Energy. Grissom, yeah. Grissom. It's, it's almost like they're starting to use that same language where the word transition is now the big buzzword. Well, and then you got the American Petroleum Institute yeah. coming out and saying that they're open to the idea of a carbon price. You know, uh, They didn't say a specific policy that they... The way promoting. that story was written, it didn't put the petroleum institute in a very good light, in my opinion. Well, it definitely seems like, you know, really quickly, three months into the year, and, and there's already sort of this tipping point where major industries are just sort of going along. Right. That's exactly it, you know, and I think complacency. Like, could it, that was a lot of that. Since I didn't know the full story, you kind of threw it in in a sense like Liz Cheney, you know, because there's this big movement, right, after she made some awful comments to get her out. Everybody's about it. But then you find yourself, you know, as a, as a whole, every state, and, you know, as a big group of people, we never completely pursue it all the way. It's kind of what it looks like. We just leave it hanging. Like, we're like, we know what's wrong, but then we just, like, I don't know, move on. The other part I wanted to ask you, or the other, the other reason that um, I'm glad that you called in this morning so we could have this talk, is you come from coal country, Wyoming. You know, you're, That's I mean, correct. yeah. And we, we have coal country here in North Dakota as well as they do down in Texas. And in North Dakota and Texas, they have what's known as lignite coal, which is a very clean coal, actually. It's a, um, our, our air quality is always A. plus. We get voted by the uh, uh, air, was it the lung cancer and American Cancer Societies and, and, and the different environmental groups that, that check out the air quality. North Dakota always gets A. pluses. And because we've got hundred mile an hour winds most days, either if we blow, <laughs> it blows fine. it through. If we blow oh, it to I, Minnesota, I, we don't I, care. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Right, that, that's definitely a, a big portion of it. Right? They can blow it up to Canada, whatever. That's fine. So <laughs> either way, our air is clean. Okay, <laughs> okay. Damn it. <laughs> okay. Um, Yesterday, uh, I kind of went off a little bit because the John Kerry thing just gets me going right away, like this whole climate envoy thing. It's not even John Kerry. It's the climate envoy, how they're just slowly putting together an invisible hand that's going to control our lives. I don't like that. Okay, the other part that I went off yesterday was that I don't know how anybody can, you know, your dad is, is your dad still a, a, a politician? Is he still in elected leadership? Yep, yep, he's still he's still Narborough County Commissioner. Okay, I, I want you to ask your dad this question so you know I'm not talking behind anybody's back here because okay. what, what I'm very curious about is how should we believe anybody in an elected leadership role that's been there for, you know, more than a term or two because what just look at coal. They promised us if coal did all this different stuff, they'd keep them around and nope, nope. They want them going away. I mean, the way that they treated coal, it's almost like they're trying to do the same thing with oil and gas. So you, you're in Wyoming. What's, what is your thought on that? And your dad is in you know, elected leadership, so you, know, you can tell me to F off if you want. But I'm a, I was a little bit upset yesterday, and I was using coal as my example. I think here's a great way to look at it. 
So Colorado is always a great comparison because they've dealt with, you know, serious legality to, to run their runner. And, uh, Sorry, Frackleberry Hound is going nuts at a climate activist there. I, can hear that. I mean, John Kerry must be in the background or something. Oh, no, our, my uh, neighbor works at Microsoft. He doesn't like when we do the show. He always pro- oh, he, he, pro- he protests outside <laughs> with a sign because he knows the dog will bark. So, okay, uh, we'll start over. Colorado, what? <laughs> go, go. You know, so in a sense of this, this is how I put it. Colorado, you know, they, they've dealt with all the legalities, the, the 190, whatever. You know, I can't remember post on post. 181. Thank you, 181. But they also have, you know, the the marijuana market and all this other stuff. They have tons of other industries in their state. They may lose a lot of tax revenue, but they have other ways to make it. Wyoming, you know, Gillette was the energy capital of the world at one point. So you got to look at Wyoming this way. Coal, oil, gas, and I, we can throw wind in there now because, I mean, it is a profitable market, you know, to have employment rates, etc. Without those, we don't have anything. Like, we don't have anything else. I mean, we have a little bit of tourism, but, I mean, that's not going to – how would we survive? So from a political standpoint, they have to have that, that tax revenue to run as a local government. So they have to support it. They've got no choice. Does, does Wyoming only have rock? I mean, is there any lithium in there, any cobalt, any... There, yeah, yeah, I mean, there, there is. There's, I suppose there's, there's uranium. Mines, but, I mean, the, there's no money in it, right? So they just sit there stagnant. Yeah, for whatever whatever rocks are in there, there's no money for those rocks, yeah, I suppose. Um, I mean, there's really just, yeah. I mean, because if you really break it down like that, we, we have no tax revenue. There's That's where all our money comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even the way the state's made up, I mean... Uh, you have Casper, and then what, Cheyenne, and then what's over, I suppose Jackson Hole would probably be the airport on the west side, Rockport. Well, oil yeah, and gas right. has probably been the major tax revenue in that state forever. Energy, without a doubt. I mean, I mean really, since incorporation. I, oh, I would guess natural gas has been the steady eddy. Yeah. Um, coal, for oh, a long time. The, the top dog, I think, for the past three to four years, right? Yeah, well, out, out west, you guys don't need to do any fracking. It's just it's just natural, right? Kind of like western Colorado. It's just there, right? I mean, for the most part. I, you still see fracking everywhere you go, but, yeah, I mean, it's not nearly as bad. Yeah, we have some of that in western North Dakota where it's just, you know, they can get natural gas right out of the ground without having to do the, the hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling and that sort of thing. Um Cool. All right, man. So uh, WIC, we should probably talk about what it is you guys do. Give your business a plug and uh, who your customer is. I mentioned it earlier, as you know, pretty much anybody that needs safety and insulation. So talk about uh, what it is you guys do and how people can utilize your business. Here, let's give a big shout out. If you did freeze and you're in Texas, Oklahoma, whatever other state that may have got the polar vortex and brought you down, I am, I am your savior. Insulation, heat trays, scaffolding, painting and coating to make your assets pretty, asbestos abatement to keep you healthy. I mean, we've got all sorts of items, all sorts of industries, be it paper mills, you know, milk companies, oil and gas, refineries, power plants. We're all over. Are you a foodie? Oh, I am. I love it. But it's got to be good food. See, that's funny because yeah. I don't cook. But I love when people cook amazing food. <laughs> do you do you have like a favorite type of wood that uh, is barbecued with? Um, we got barbecue on the mind. We're going to be down in the Permian next week for the cook-off. Um, of course, Bakken Barbecue is going to be 
after your interview, we've got the co-founders, Tiffany Steiner, Jackie Jenkins, during the work hard portion of the program with the Bach and Barbecue. And we were kind of, you know, I just got in my mind, and I was always a fan of the pecan, okay? I always liked things that were with pecan, and I don't know why. I don't know why. And then I looked it up one day, okay? <laughs> okay. Because a lot of people like hickory, right? A lot of people like hickory. Well, the pecan tree is actually in the hickory family, so that's where I get that little bit of flavor, oh, right? Okay. And they say if it, it burns very slowly, giving the meats a very delicate flavor. So no wonder. I'm kind of a foodie, and I love saffron. And saffron, if you do not babysit it, you ruin it. You ruin the whole dish. Pecans is kind of like that. It's a slow yeah. cooking. So. Saffron? <laughs> you, you must be a cook. Oh, I am. Oh, I yeah, love to cook. Is. Yeah, I love to cook. I won't bake. Baking, you got to follow rules. I don't like to follow rules. No, but he's got an epic spice rack. But I don't even like to. I don't even like to cook saffron because you got to follow too many rules. That's why I let my Indian <laughs> friends do it. They're really there good at go. it. Yeah. What oh, you got to yeah. do is well, since I'm in Midland, I'll have to do that. Got to go get them bags of that. Is it like that mesquite wood that they like burn and bury in the ground? You know, and it's all like black. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. There I you do go. know what you're talking about. Mm. Now we're on it. Hey, if you're down in Midland, you better stop at the Faux and Gelato restaurant. The two, the two uh, foods that go together like peanut butter and jelly, Vietnamese Faux and Italian Gelato. Might be a nice oh, palate nice. cleanser. If you haven't been there, it's in a it's in a great strip mall, man. It's it's. Uh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to notate that. That's just like. Uh, since you're a foodie, I gotta tell you, there's a place called Armando's in Gillette. Since we're talking about Gillette, <clears throat> and they do Italian Mexican dishes. Interesting. You can get like a, you can get like a fettuccine Alfredo burrito, or and I tell you what, it's phenomenal. <laughs> Whoa, yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. I'll I, tell you I, what, I the that. the best Indian food I've had is in Greeley, Wyoming. I'm sorry, Greeley, Colorado. Okay, okay at the Sherpa Grill. Now I've the be- been there. Oh, it's so good. It is good. It is so good. And they have a second location of Fort Collins now because they're brothers. And so the one brother moved to Fort Collins and got opened the second location. There but in Houston, Cowboys and Indians has the best coconut curry I've ever had. Oh, the shrimp coconut curry is to die for. And uh, no, no, that's right. He, he made it vegan for me. So it was just, it was a regular coconut curry. And uh, Cowboys and Indians, they do in Houston, Texas. Indian food, authentic Indian food, and like authentic American fare, cheeseburger, bacon cheeseburgers, and wings, and all nice. kinds of stuff. So it's it's got the T-bone steaks and the yeah. whole deal, man. It's just in goat, you know. <laughs> there you Can go. we break and for goat. lunch? Can't, can't leave out the goat. And in Midland, I'm trying to think. Oh, they got actually Midland has a very good sushi restaurant, to be honest. And Is that like um, Soku or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, it's a fusion. It's it's a it's a sushi fusion, Asian fusion restaurant. Very good. And then Odessa, I always go to the Ramada because that's where their Indian food restaurant is inside the Ramada. <laughs> oh, okay. well, that's handy. <laughs> right? You go to you go to Odessa. You go to the Ramada. Go inside of the hotel for your food. Next, sure, to, next to the indoor water slide wow. type of a thing. You know, it's lovely. It's just, I'll tell you about this gas station with these really good hot dogs. It's it's, it's decent. It's good. <laughs> we went there. We went there. <laughs> the, the Shell gas station with two for a buck on Wednesday. Weenie Wednesday. <laughs> Free chili turds and cheese. When you're on you bet. Your way to mine on North Dakota. There's a perfect hot dog. <laughs> oh, I'll have to check that out. Uh, and before well, before we go, are you guys going to be in March Madness again this year? You know it. Put All right. Me down. 
Good deal. We'll make sure we get you in. We're only, you know, 68 teams, and we got to cap it off. So I haven't checked the uh, email since this morning, but um, my guess is we probably got a few more. So, anywho, well, hang on the line, all right? So we're going to take a brief pause. We come back. More play hard, work hard. That is Sterling. My name is Jason Spees. Bailey Midkiff is on the Swan Energy phone lines. We'll see you in a bit, folks. All right. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. With Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. If you want to look at America, you go to Permian and the Bakken, and, and that's what America should be united as one, and that's exactly what we are. And, and then, you know, that's what I love about the oil and gas industry. One county in Kansas, one single county, produced 9% of the world's oil. That was an oil that won World War One, As the British said from the floor of Parliament, the Allies floated to victory on a sea of oil. Works picked up here in the Permian Basin. Yeah, leadership really needs to take a look at how we've been doing things and constantly make changes in how we can do things better. Commodities are always, 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 any commodity business, whether it's milk or whether it's oil or whether it's apples, they always are boom or bust because the solution to low prices is high prices. The solution to high prices is, you know, is high prices. It's a big issue. You know, it's kind of red riding hood syndrome here. People making out the industry to be the big bad wolf. And on top of that, you know, you would get a nice increase in pay, as I'm sure most of us all know. When you move to oil field areas, you get a, a nice little bump in pay. After him and I having five margaritas over at the Cork and Pig, I called my boyfriend and I was like, Hey, do you want to move to Texas? And he was like, yeah, when, when are we moving? <laughs> and honestly, we moved about a month after that. This oil and gas industry, I've met some of the best people I've ever met in my life doing this. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard.
Welcome back to the Play Hard, Work Hard Morning Show. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. Thank you, Bailey Midkin, for joining us from the Permian Basin. Calling in on a Friday morning. Oh, you know, we forgot to ask him if he went to the OCI social. I bet he did. There's, he's not going to miss that. Yeah, isn't that kind of a no-brainer? You have to go, right? I would think. With, you know, Kate Hornbrook, mm-hmm. Tiffany Wilson. It's their St. Patrick's Day one. It was last night. Oh, man, that was the happy hour. Yeah. So they're not going to listen to this show till 2 in the afternoon. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully, right. hopefully they're still asleep. You're right. They'll listen to it Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Sunday, because it's Friday, right? Which, oh, three-day weekend. All yeah, right. There you deal. go. <laughs> well, let's see. What else do we got going on? Oh, we got the Bakken Barbecue. The girls coming up here on the Play Hard portion coming up next. Jackie Jenkin and uh, Tiffany Steiner. They'll be joining us, the co-founders, as we continue the Women's History Month. In any way we can. I mean, we interview women all the time, but we're doing an extra concerted focus this month i'm trying we're trying to do an every day actually that's the goal i wonder if we can do it i don't know well, uh, so far if not we'll have to grab some reruns <laughs> that's fine, that's I'll, fine grab, I'll grab an interview from yeah. five actually you know one i thought about doing on monday was uh one of one of the very first probably five interviews i did was with a, a gal who owned a cafe in south heart north dakota okay, okay just north of dickinson and she got hit by an oil truck, by a semi. Jeez. Jaws of life. Whole deal. Broke almost every bone in her body. Oh, man. That's... Saved by oil workers because it takes 45 minutes to four hours for emergency services to yeah. come out in rural America yeah, sometimes. Yeah, we're talking out in the middle of nowhere. So it was, it was, a, it was a very real story about how um, you know, she, and she loves the industry. And so she, it was. It was interesting, she, you know, because it's what it's like living the crude life, you know. Yeah. So I'll find that. Yeah, I'd be I'll really curious that. too. We should try to follow up, maybe at some point, you know. Oh sure. Oh, I talk to her all the time. Okay. Yeah, we're friends on Facebook. Okay, so now she's and... made a full recovery and. Oh yeah, no, oh, okay, she great, she did when great. we did the interview. Okay. Oh yeah, Good she deal. was fine. She yeah. was in a uh, wheelchair that... for a, a number of. Uh, yeah, it's got to be a hell a of a recovery. Years, I want to say. Yeah. Oh, it was it was a recovery. Yeah. yeah. You well, know, and that goes back to one of the reasons why we uh, why we build pipelines is to reduce the load on the roads and the road on the rail. And not only that, but you have to invest in roads too. Yeah. And so what we tried to do at the crude life early on and still do is not hide from stories that are growing pains Mm -hmm. or teachable moments or shit happens, if you will. You know, it's just how it goes. And, you know, here's someone who... There's no reason to stick our head in the sand. Right. You know, it's kind of like when spills happen. That's fine. I'm not there to talk about the spill and point at it. No, to me, what's interesting is what have you done since then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's educate people on how to clean that up. Let's educate people on that. Not all oil and gas workers are assholes. Actually, my life was saved by some Patterson drilling guys that, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. it was. Well, you know, stories like that and everyday energy, you know, that, you know, yeah. really starting to make that connection with people where things that they do every day outside of their car, outside of their heating that require oil and gas, you know, just that appreciation for it. Well, we should probably get to some news here because news. I want to actually be done with my Friday. Yeah, I know, right? Let's get it's almost, rolling, almost man. time. Okay. Well, <laughs> rolling <laughs> on a Friday. <laughs> Well, that's got a different connotation and meeting in Colorado. Right, yeah. Doesn't it? I, well, that's what they tell me anyway. Yeah. Detroit, too, if you're a part of the baseball games on a 
Monday afternoon on opening day, apparently, too, huh? Tied into the first segment. Tied into the first. Nice, nice. Come full circle here. So I just thought, just real quick, I'd let you know uh, that your buddy Elon Musk had a rocket launch that successfully launched and landed and then promptly exploded. So happy Friday. It exploded. (laughs) It exploded. He did the uh, bubble boy thing, huh? Yep, yep. So they've gotten the up, they've gotten the down, they just don't have the down and everybody survives part yet. Has anyone ever asked him? That's just one more step. Is it, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. no, that's all I got. <laughs> Has anybody ever asked Elon Musk if he's a flat earther? Jeez. Is he just doing this to see if it's really flat or not? Man, yeah. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's at least entertained it. Well, there was that crazy guy who ended up killing himself. Yeah, the but Rocket Man. That's a, yes, that guy. That's what I was him. all about that story. Yeah. The steam-powered yep. rocket yep. to prove. And that, that wasn't he, even his first attempt. He'd done a couple. So my yeah. son and I were laughing about that story, and I looked at him, and I go, that is an example of Darwinism. That is the thinning of the herd, my son. Yep. That is the thinning of the mental herd right there. Well, you know, and to, to somebody that would be like, hey, that's heartless and snarky, I, no. would, I would add he died doing what he believed in. He, I mean, all, he I He died actually, for his belief. My, where I couldn't get, uh, get over it was, was the reporter that was going to be there live. You full well know going in, you're going to watch a man die. Yeah, you're pretty sure you're about to do a Hindenburg type so, of thing, right? There's no way. I mean, at what point when you're the CNN report, it's not CNN, but whoever the local. It was probably local, Yeah, right? wh- whoever the reporter was that was would have been me. If, if I would have been in that guy's neck of the woods, I would have been all over that. And then as he launched in the sky, I would have thought, oh, shit, he's going to die and I'm here. I can't. Well, this is going to scar me for life. I probably would have been thinking like, okay, so what do I say if he comes back down safe? Oh, when I was doing the news, remember when the uh, Hawaii tsunami was going on when there was like round the clock coverage of was this tidal wave going to take out Hawaii? That's right. Because there was an earthquake. It was a a California earthquake. Okay, yeah. Or Japan earthquake. Well, 2004, 2005, there was that one in Indonesia, that really horrific This would have been 2010. Okay. 2011, right around that time. Okay, so yeah, I do remember like a lot of coverage. Yeah, there was about whether... Probably Anderson Cooper standing in the ocean with his shirt slightly open. It was the only thing going on, right? So let's cover a giant wave for two days, right? And then it never even got there, right? Right. But it was the buildup. Well, we fell for it. Because, you know... It's something to watch when you're in the airport. When you're working for a news station, a lot of what you do is national news, okay? Mm -hmm. And you react to it, and you try to find your local angle. Oh, do we got somebody in the Super Bowl? No. How about somebody who played against anybody in the Super Bowl? No. Anybody going to the Super Bowl? Okay. (laughs) You know, you start going down the pecking order. Anybody who would, would go to the Super Bowl if they could. Well, I knew somebody that was in Hawaii, when that was going on, bum, and, bum, and they were on the 23rd floor of their condo. So they were sitting out there watching this wave, you know, whatever. Well, they got to high ground at least. And we had them on live. Okay. So here we, you know, they it's like were. like you're on the spot weather report. They were giving us play by play of the giant tsunami going to take out Honolulu. Bum, bum, bum. And it dawned on me during the interview. I said, Do you realize that we, we could live. Have a, a city being taken out, and we're just eating popcorn. Oh yeah, like this is jeez, man. This, like the humanity yeah. is just completely lost here. Yeah, man. I'm sitting there eating popcorn, thinking I got a great story, I got a scoop, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, what am I doing? 
that is, I think, the problem with the fact that everybody has a camera. I'm ushering in a, a, a portal to mm-hmm. a bunch of people's deaths, you yeah, know? Man. Like I'm like, oh. Well, so anyway. Yeah, I, no, I mean, geez, you can go off on a whole section on that stuff. I well, mean, the course. whole selfie death. Remember we were talking about mm-hmm. that the other day off air, you know? people, The lengths people are going to to capture and something. Po- and folks, you might think that what I just said is crazy, but keep in mind, You're not this wrong. started with Elon Musk, and you're going to give him more money. So he can go find out if the earth is flat or not. He's already got the crazy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you got crazy, you got to combat it with crazy. Yep. So any, if crazy you're going to bring up crazy. Elon Musk, I'm going to bring up a crazy topic. So let's get to news. What okay, from Scientific American, energy companies reluctantly embrace carbon pricing. So I thought, you know, we were... Oh, Scientific yeah. American. So they're going after the intellects on this one. What was the headline? Uh, energy companies reluctantly embrace carbon pricing. But they do. See, but reluctantly, they do. but they do. You see how sneaky that is? Yep. <laughs> carbon capture and storage, green hydrogen, and massive deployments of wind and solar energy. Oil and gas industry leaders say they're investing in all of that. To, to make sure those clean technologies pay off, the industry is increasingly embracing a climate policy it once fiercely opposed, pricing emissions of carbon dioxide. Boy, I tell you, I just am channeling Jerry Seinfeld's dad right now. Kami Pinko Rag. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, this just jumped out at me because of what we've been talking about and what John Kerry, the uh, honorary climate czar or uh, envoy. Envoy. Sorry. There's a czar, too. There's, an envoy. there's like a whole, I think it's envoy. I don't know. It depends on what you're talking about. I can't even pronounce, <laughs> I can pronounce czar, but it, I can't pronounce envoy. Is it foyer or foyer? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> seriously, I can pronounce a word that's spelled C Z A R. No problem. Nope. Yeah, you got but it. But I don't know how to say envoy or envoy. <laughs> There is still time for you. Okay, yep. so what what else are they reluctantly accepting? Oh. In, in the green? Boy, this is amazing how... Uh, oh, you're talking about even, the API yesterday. This is unreal. You know, we're talking the last two days, we read that report from the Wall Street Journal about the American Petroleum Institute starting to say not specifically what type of carbon pricing they're down with, but that they're going to be down with it. You heard Bailey earlier. He said people down in the Permian are talking about it too. Right. We're hearing all the major oil companies, the Chevrons, the Shells, the BPs, they're saying transition, transition. So Folks, it's like- you have to tell me I'm wrong on this, but what we've just been doing in the news this week, it's I've, seen, quick, man. I've seen a shift just this week. Yeah. This week alone. Well, and, you, and you know, if we're seeing it this week, it's probably actually been a couple weeks in the works. It's You know what it is? It's ever since that Grisholm, what's her nuts? Uh, Energy, Energy Secretary, Secretary. Grisholm. Mm-hmm. Ever since that article at the Washington Post came out, yeah, the way interview? that she started really saying, oh, companies, you need to really, you have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. They, they, they did that bullshit I do on people where you spin it. Oh, we'll give you an opportunity, right? right? And, and so that's what... It almost seems like after that came out, all of a sudden this new narrative is now it's done. I think it's just like what happened in Colorado. They're doing at the nationwide now. Yeah, I mean it's 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 ground shaking just in the last week. Like you were saying, is you know the, for me the American Petroleum Institute coming out and say that that's like the the loose rocks right before the avalanche. Folks, studio at thecrudelife.com. If you, I mean, prove me wrong, please talk me down off this ledge because I tell a, us what it really means. I mean, I've got it's a just couple, kind of scary. I've got awards in the in the news business, and so I mean, I, I actually, you know, I was an editor and a publisher, and I like to think I know what I'm talking about, and 
I seem to have a history of being able to be a little bit of a shale play prophet too. So I I, I want to be proven wrong on yeah. this. I really yeah. do. It's your humble nature that I like the most about you. Now, see, I don't have any of those qualifications whatsoever, but here I am. <laughs> So at the end, the whole story about setting a carbon price or border tax adjustment is how to pass the cost of decarbonation to the final user of energy. So they're just trying to figure out basically how much more we're going to pay. (laughs) What I find funny is like the conversation's done. Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like. They're talking about... That's what I'm saying. The conversation's over. Now they're talking about how to transition. It's it's like it's not it's just over. House Democrats are moving legislation that would effectively end the use of natural gas for electric production by 2035. Oh, you they are smoking crack. I hear a lot about 2035 like I mean, I keep thinking about 2035 when they say the stuff they're going to do is it being 100 years away and it's what? I don't know. We better get <laughs> Bailey back on. He's the hell the, year is he's it? He's the Freemason. He's the one who knows all the secrets. Uh, yeah, doesn't he have some inside uh, perspective there? Mm, let's see. Freemason. Freemason. He mentioned Liz Cheney. So he's in the same state as Dick Cheney. He's in Wyoming, and his dad's a politician. He's the guy you go to if you need to know what's going on. So if the Simpsons have taught me anything. Right, exactly. He's having dinner parties with Steve Gutenberg. And uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, I mean. You know what the Simpsons taught me? Hmm. Life, if nothing, is just a big bunch of disappointments till you wish Flanders was dead. <laughs> Remember that yeah. Homer? He just yes. trails it until yep. you wish you could punch just Flanders wish in the face. Just dead. <laughs> so one last quote on this story that I think will uh, will make it kind of interesting for you. So this comes from Kevin Brook, a managing director of Clearview Energy Partners, LLC. Don't know who that is. He says, the industry has entered into a climate market moment right about the time that progressives have moved to mandates. So he's talking about it as everything kind of lining up. And that's what I was mentioning to you off air was that it feels like it feels like a lot of these companies were spinning wheels for the last four years because they knew they could. But as soon as an administration changed, they were just like, okay, because they're, they're looking for the money, right? And where's the money going to come from on this stuff? I'm going to watch Wall Street this weekend. You mean the movie? Yep. Oh, hell With yeah. With Michael Douglas. I need to, I, I need to see... How the template of insider trading works again. <laughs> Greed is good, right? Yeah. Dude, this has got this has got dot com bubble written all over it, but the government and the taxpayers are the venture capitalists. Well so what you're gonna see is you're gonna see this ESG movement, all all the people that get the money, get the same money from the same leaders are gonna get it now through this ESG. Oh, it's it is it is a dot-com bubble boom with the government being the venture capitalist. I'm, I am so convinced of that more and more I hear these stories. And this is out of Scientific America? Yeah. And what's this Clearbrook guy's name? Uh, this is, uh, what's his name here? Now you made me lose my What's place. his quote? Brooks is his name. The Brooks, yeah. So they're talking about basically... No, uh, what was his quote? His yeah, quote was, was what really made me process that. At the end, like almost as he was warning that, hey guys, yep, that it's basically, it's, yeah, it's not, it's now a mad rush to get the money. Well, they're talking about, yeah, it's basically, it's about setting up a carbon price or border tax adjustment and how to set the final no, cost. How, how, how the market's there, but the government's going to control it. Yeah, that's what was his quote. 
The industry has entered into a climate market moment right about the time the progressives have moved to mandates. There it is, right there. The industry is now ready to get money mandated from the progressives. That's what he's saying. That is exactly what he is saying. It seems like what I hear out of that is that it's, it's perfectly lining up the progressive and the federal subsidy. So... We now know that the industry wants subsidies from the government now. Mm-hmm. That's that's the that's the wave of the future, according to this article. Well, yeah, like that, like that uh, interview you were talking about, where you had one guy saying we don't want the government money, and you had the other guy saying we're ready. Mike Summers of Mike API Summers, right? was the one so, that yeah, came so out that's and said, the, the, "No, yeah. it, no, we don't want any subsidies. Yeah. We don't want intrusion." Yeah. Yeah. And you got Parsley Energy, Matt Gallagher, who incidentally they got bought out. Remember, a few mm-hmm. months later. Yep. Didn't tell that during the interview yeah, when he was on CNBC. Yeah. No, that would a lot. I know a lot of midstream companies that would have liked to know that little nugget of information. Oh, absolutely. But anyway, what's the next news story? <laughs> well, back to Texas here. This is more of an opinion piece here. A little bit, it looks like. I love Texas. I know this is from the Texas Monthly. I have no idea what type. Oh, of... Oh no, they're, they're magazine. Yeah, I yeah, figured, they're they're magazine. Yeah. yeah, they're probably a little more on the liberal side because that's kind of what it seems like starting right out of the gate here. This article. But so, my guess is they're Texas, so probably not too liberal. So oh, it starts with never mind Austin. <laughs> I forgot about Austin, Texas. Yeah, this Sorry. might be from Austin. Let the Yankee bastards freeze in the dark was a popular refrain among Texans in the '70s who felt that the federal government was depriving them of their natural gas by compelling them to ship it to the Northeast and Midwest below cost now that is writing you caught me you got to the point you explained what the, uh, that is good writing yeah. see see i'm surprised i haven't Ma- had to pay for it yet magazines are the ones that are supposed to be able to write 15 paragraphs before they even get to the point okay right. newspapers are supposed to write it in the first sentence yeah, grab my attention you got magazines now doing what newspapers used to, we are in a flip-flopsy Dude, we are world through the looking glass here people pretty soon women are going to be cutting their hair short dogs and cats living together mass hysteria so, bunny and kitten having a fun. Governor Greg Abbott and legislation leaders who are ultimately accountable for overseeing the state's electric grid have sought to focus blame on the Electric Reliability Council of Texas or our favorite ERGOT. EGOT. EGOT, EPCOT. 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 The state's grid operator. And they've lambasted the group for its lack of preparedness, but to focus solely on ergot, ebgot. I love magazine writing. They're actually, that's a correct form. It's articulate, it's a, right? That's the correct use of lambasted. Right. It's actually correct. It's not exaggerated. It's Okay, go on. It's literally. It's good. It's, yeah, yeah, without using the word literally. Okay. Uh, but the, the focus solely on ergot and the electricity system is to miss the key role played by the natural gas industry, which is controlled not by ergot, but by the Texas Railroad Commission. Though I live in Houston, the author says, I am by birth one of those Yankees to whom Texas have historically directed their ire. I'm now the head of a natural gas research. I'm a head of natural gas research at an energy training company, uh, Mercuria. And the view in this piece are mine, not my employers. So he talks about he was in Utah for the duration of the crisis. Don't hate me for it, but as I worked remotely, I watched energy markets convulse in real time, trying in vain to find an equilibrium that has reached only after power was denied to more than 4.5 million households and businesses. Okay. Uh, So he said, how could this have been a gas crisis? Simply because in Texas, gas is the stuff that electricity is made of. 52% of the electricity generated in Texas in 2020 was from natural gas versus only 39% in the rest of the country. 
Of the 82 gigawatts that ERGOT lists as available for this winter's supply on its official report, the lion's share, or 50 gigawatts, is gas-generated. Wow. So some plants were unable to run because operators had not taken the proper winterization measures. Lines froze, systems could not run, even with gas supplies. This is what I've been hearing more and more is that it it it, it had really to do with you know, just underprepared heat tape, man. You know, it's the type of stuff we'd do up here. Well, just out as a matter of course. To me, it seems like he's he's um, really doing a long format way of explaining how Texas it, they've got an abundance of natural gas, and they, they should almost be set up more on the grid for natural gas. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's what I'm hearing or not. but Well, yeah, I mean, that's he's actually, he makes the point. He says, some people, including the Texas Railroad Commission, which regulates the state's oil and gas industry, and uh, Governor Abbott, have blamed wind for the blackout, but they are either ignorant of the data or pushing an agenda. About eight gigawatts of wind generation was lost from the pre-freeze peak to the trough on February 15th, which was unwelcome but not expected. Uh, dipped as low, wind generation dipped as low as 0.65 gigawatts, meaning that the energy source underperformed, but less so than the more reliable coal, which fell short of expectations by more than 5 gigawatts, and nuclear, which fell short by 0.7 gigawatts. So they say the underperformance of all these pales next to the gas, which generated 16 gigawatt less than ERGOT's low estimate. Wow. That's a huge drop. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, finger pointing, a lot of opportunity, a lot of government subsidies. And what I think is going to be interesting is, you know, up in our neck of the woods, we we were minus 20, 30 degrees oh, man. a day day or two before the Texas thing. So yeah, I'm wondering how, how many consulting companies are going to be come, coming out of North Dakota now yeah. going down to Texas to say, we'll help you. Well, I heard a story, a couple of different stories, but uh, just local stories about some local uh, Fargo-Moorhead plumbers that were volunteering to go down there to help with, you know, restoring pipes. Oh, that's that great. Burst, yeah. Stuff like that. We should find some of them. Get yeah, them on the air. get one of them on. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because there's a lot of uh, a lot of things are happening. And what what's interesting is how they're finding out the way that the energy is being used on each grid. Mm-hmm. So I, I knew a guy that went to China for his uh, college thesis. He was writing, computer programmer. And it Pre-COVID? Was a, it was a tri-college deal. Yeah, it was pre-COVID. But what he was writing was basically a software that split the, that, that would direct, do logistics for the grid, mm-hmm. like a op, uh, it was an air traffic controller, right? Okay. Except for the grid. So at the moment when you use the toaster, the grid would say, okay, that toaster is best used with this form of energy and this form is available at this time. And so he was developing the coding and the the software for that. And that was like five years ago. So I can only imagine where they're at now. And so that's why I find this stuff interesting because what they're going to find out is that, okay, the more we blame, the more agendas are going to come out. Even in this story here, okay, the bottom line is this. If the grid would be set up for only natural gas, I think they would have been fine. Okay, If the grid would have been set up for only coal, they probably would have been fine. If the grid had been set up for only... That, that's where they're going. That's where the blame game comes in. Yeah. But when you try to diversify, 
That costs money. Costs a lot of money. And when you start doing mandates in certain areas, you can't, there's, there's no easy answer. It's kind of, what's, what these news stories remind me of is the weather girl or the weather man. Sure. Not trying to be sexist here. Is that when you look in the want ads, a lot of times a news organization will have a part-time, like it pays minimum wage because mm-hmm. all you got to read is a teleprompter, right? Okay, so they, they don't, like these, these weekend weather people, they're seriously, it's, it's, it's like an entry-level job. Yeah, they don't necessarily have to be a meteorologist. No, but they're giving you some of the most complicated things in the world. But what they're saying is, oh, it's going to be nice today. Well, that's that's a really simplified way of what the reality is. You know, that's what this reminds me of is they're trying to simplify something that is very complicated because you cannot replace one megawatt of coal with one megawatt of wind and vice versa. No, and it, you know, I think one of the things that you just they they talk about in here that you were just mentioning, they say in the Bakken oil field in North Dakota, temperatures dropped to negative twenty five degrees Fahrenheit a few days before the cold hit Texas. Just like you said, producers there saw far less volume go offline than their Texan brethren when Midland temperatures were twenty degrees above zero. Texas gas producers could prepare for the next deep freeze and ensure that power plants have access to more fuel. So, you know, I think what I'm reading and what I've been hearing, you know, from other sources is really the bottleneck came to the point where they had these, what they call freeze-offs, right? So they weren't able to actually pump the gas. So it was a bottleneck. They mm-hmm. weren't holding it back. Right. It was, it couldn't go out. Um, and that looks like the easiest way to fix that would be heat tape. It would be wet winterization techniques. It would, you know, it's the type of thing where Texas and North Dakota share a lot in common, but up here you have to do that. You just have to. I mean, it's it's part of doing business in North Dakota. In Texas, they should probably just start planning that that's the kind of thing that might happen. I mean, shit. The last time something like this happened in Texas was like eighteen eighty seven or something I was like say, that. To me, the the comparison that would probably be pretty close is if we had a six point five earthquake tomorrow in North Dakota. Would we really be pointing fingers at the building code people because they didn't prepare us like California? Yeah. That, that to me, is what's going on yeah. here is that it freezes so infrequently in Texas mm-hmm. that the leadership is, not, is like, we're not going to invest $5 trillion into something that happens once every 100 years. And hopefully that's what it is. You no, know? you only do that if Elon Musk asks for it. <laughs> right, well, he's the type of guy that would, so... Because he right. understands oil. <laughs> He's starting a space town in Texas, by the way, but we'll save that for Monday. All right, so you were just saying one of your friends went to China to do that, the, where they were doing software? Yeah. But that was pre-COVID, That was right? pre-COVID, They are yes. very lucky because apparently now China makes COVID-19 anal swab mandatory for foreigners entering the country. Come on. China has made anal COVID-19 I know, swabs. I am this not, is an onion story. I am not shitting you. China has made anal COVID, COVID-19 swabs mandatory for all foreign travelers arriving in the country, a report said Wednesday. The government has I'm claimed... I'm sorry, are you for real? I am for real. This comes from our favorite New York Post source. 
Government has claimed that such tests provide a higher degree of accuracy than other screening methods for the virus, and I'm sure they're a lot of fun for some people. As part of the new travel requirement, there will be testing hubs in Beijing and Shanghai airports, the outlet reported. So they just don't want people to go. I'm guessing, man. Or is that why Bailey was going? <sighs> Wait, no, I'm in all seriousness now. Is this a uh, is this a, a this a rim is, a rim job or is this or is this uh, <laughs> poke the finger? Which this is a swab. Li Tongzhang, a respiratory disease medic, said the anal swabs are better because virus traces stay in fecal samples longer than they do in the nose or throat. What's this note say? No, it is not shaped like a thumb. <laughs> What's so? This actually. So are you telling me if you I, go to if you go to China? You have to get an anal swab for COVID, and if you go to America, you have to get one up the nose. Come on! Hopefully, they clean those. Okay, this is the good. move I, comes I, after Japan asked China it. to the stop. The joke is officially on me. I get it. <laughs> I am officially the joke. Oh my god! Are you for real? If you I'm go to real, America, man. you get the Q-tip up the nose. If you go to China, you get it up the bung. And I'm guessing that is one way of of saying, "Do you really want to come to China right now?" Yeah. Well, they're going to well, get apparently, some new. Some gover- are going to love it, man. J- j- uh, the Japanese government <laughs> has asked China to stop because the is the swabbing is causing mental anguish to some of their citizens entering the country for business. Yeah, some Japanese reported to our embassy in China that they received anal swab tests, which caused a great psychological pain, All right. Japan's chief cabinet secretary said. So you and your family are in the airport, okay? Is this a hypothetical? I don't care. Okay. This is this is apparently is real. Okay. So you guys are in the airport, and all of a sudden, new regulations came in. Ding, ding, ding. And in order to get to Denver International Airport, because it's international, right? or Atlanta, or I don't know if Minneapolis is actually a frequent hub or not. No, might, be- might be because of Winnipeg, you know, the can- Canadian audience, but... Um, yeah. You know, it's, it might it's, be. It's might called be. an international airport. Yeah, Fargo is, yeah, too. Yeah. Okay. so But Denver is a big one. Uh, Atlanta's a big one. Sure. Dallas is a big one. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> but all of a sudden, now they say before you before you board mm-hmm. and go to Phoenix. Right. This is happening. Drop, drop your drawers yeah. and, and get the anal swab. Would you do it? Or would you go home? I guess it depends on why I was traveling. Okay. Well, I said Phoenix. Right. Okay. Vegas. You're going to Vegas. Uh, okay. Nope. It's not worth it. Okay. All right. You're nope. going to St. Michael, uh, Samoa, the Bahamas, uh, Hawaii. You know, maybe Hawaii. Where would you go to okay. get the anal swab? You know what? I think if my <laughs> wife and I were going to a trip to Hawaii, we could just roll it up as a, you know, it's part of our spa treatment on the way. <laughs> <laughs> right. And is this part of the trip? Oh, man. Yeah, apparently they're having to deal with a, a rash of people that are just going in and out of the company, country back and forth. <laughs> and you know some TSA guys looking at you going to say, pucker up, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Time for your test. Mwah. Oh, I mean, that's Friday me? for you, folks. Sorry about that. But, oh, look uh, at this. We just got an email in. Kate's Pure Romance Man Cave renewed for another year woo-hoo! because of this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you see, we're getting out to that that niche audience there. Oh, man. So, yeah, I think I'm going to keep my travel to my car for now. 
I'm telling you, folks, it's happening right before our eyes. This planet is changing. Did you ever think you would live in a day and age where... I'm all of a sudden starting to think, where's your papers? It's sounding good. Right. I mean, it's a little less invasive. Bend over and get yeah. the Q-tip yeah, up the rim It's a little less job. invasive. Yeah. Oh, my Well, goodness. there's privacy, and then there's privacy, right? <laughs> and with that, it's play hard, work hard. We got we, we to gotta get our composure because we got the girls from the Bucket Barbecue coming up next, folks. Tiffany, Jake, uh, Tiffany Steiner, Jackie Jenkins. Woo! My mind is just at a lot of yeah, different Yeah, you, pla- you need a palate cleanser here for I a second. I got to get out of this conversation yeah. before I get sued. <laughs> Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by The Bach and Barbecue. In 2013, The Bach and Barbecue was created as a collaborative effort to raise money within the community. This family-friendly event raises money to help make a difference within the communities in the Bach and Shale Place. Since their first year, The Bach and Barbecue has not only achieved their goal annually, but it's added to the list of positive impacts within the Bakken. For more information, visit their website, BakkenBBQ.org. That's BakkenBBQ.org. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... Chewy Paws. All-natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA-sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas, and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's ChewyPaws with a Z, dot com. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Time now to work hard on the Swan Energy phone line. We're now joined by the lovely co-founders of the Bakken Barbecue, Tiffany Steiner, Jackie Jenkins. How are the two of you doing today? Wonderful. 
Good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Beautiful day today. You know, I, I understand it's uh, in the 60s in your neck of the woods as well out there in the Bach and oil fields. Boy, it's spring around the corner. Can't wait. I was just remembering when my son was five, it was 75 degrees on St. Patrick's Day. So keep your fingers crossed <laughs> so we can get out there and enjoy it. I feel like this is uh, just um, kind of egging us on for some Bakken barbecue. I mean, it's a nice thing. We could totally have a barbecue today. By the way, and we'll talk about the Bakken barbecue in a little more detail, but I do want to start off by saying, I don't know if you guys planned it this way, but brilliant on uh, having the theme be first responders this year because nothing is going to make people feel safer than having a bunch of first responders, firefighters, policemen, just emergency reservers, whoever that are first responders. That's going to really give people a nice, safe feeling for this year's Bach and Barbecue. I don't know if you guys planned it that way or not, but it's certainly going to add that kind of that subconscious layer to the event. Have you thought of that at all? Well, it's something, too, that when Jackie and I first started this Bach and Barbecue in 2013, it was something that we always wanted to include the first responders in our area just because we are a smaller town, smaller states. We've always welcomed that, welcomed them to our event. And so it was kind of a no-brainer after the year everyone has had in this industry and in the world and everything going on that we really wanted to give back to them and everything that they've gone through. Well, and the other part, too, that I think is very interesting is when you look at a city's grid, about 40% of it is emergency services. And so just that whole synergy that happens naturally, I think it's, it is a great idea just to start there and just start reminding people that this relationship starts at the core. It starts, you know, before you even flick on the light switch, because you ask any oil and gas company, they are working hand in, not only working hand in hand with a lot of the emergency services, they're donating the money so that the firefighters, the volunteer firefighters have got equipment, the police have got new state-of-the-art equipment to make sure that they can protect and serve the community. So I just thought from day one, from my observation, the uh, the, the whole first responders, emergency services, and the energy industry just go hand in hand. So uh, bravo for that. I would have never thought about actually doing a theme like that. So that was pretty good thinking, girls. Ladies. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> it's very exciting to have them involved and see how excited they are. We, I went and talked to the Dickinson Police Department, and just their enthusiasm to be participating this year is phenomenal so it really makes us feel good that they're so excited about our event we are in march and it is women's history month and a lot of women working in industry really are kind of modern day leaders that are you know making history as they go every day and the two of you of course are included in that especially when it comes to the bach and barbecue so i thought we'd just kind of do a little bit of a you know, start with the genesis of the Bach and Barbecue. Bring us to the modern day where last year, close to 100,000, or two years ago, 100,000. And then last year, with COVID, still got seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars $80,000. So I, th- I thought we'd start from the beginning and just go right up to this year. So uh, let's talk about what the Bach and Barbecue does and just kind of some of the things that you've learned over the years. Well... The Bakken Barbecue, I mean, as we've talked throughout the years, you know, we started with almost little to nothing, no experience. Tiffany and I kind of went in blindsided, and I don't know, luck be, luck, uh, 
not draws a lot, but I guess we were just kind of lucky and our event turned out so successful. And it was amazing to see something so small that we had just a small idea grew into something huge. And now here we are nine years later and, you know, Tiffany and I went through a lot of struggles to get where we are today, but our event is just so successful because of all those struggles and how much we've learned that it's almost as if our event runs itself now. How about you, Tiffany? What, what do you remember about the beginning days in terms of getting the Bach and barbecue together? I think to me, the biggest thing that I've noticed, and I think I was only my first year at MBI, or first or second year, was the support from the industry. And that's when I realized that the oil and gas industry is just a huge family, and they supported us through and through. No one had to. You know, they didn't have to come out and support us and cook and sponsor, but they did. They showed up. And they were there for us, even though they didn't quite know what the Bakken Barbecue was, because we didn't know. Um, had a good name. Each, yeah, it had a good name. <laughs> and you know what? It was just something that they felt that it was good for the community, and we gave back. And you could tell every year it got bigger and bigger, because, like Jackie said, the Bakken Barbecue speaks for itself. I mean, it just draws people in. And when you tell companies about it, they don't know about it and you tell them a little blurb they're in they don't need much more and that to me i was telling another company the other day and i told them you know what it was what it supported and they're like we're in we don't need to know anything else and that's amazing to me when you don't have to you know give them a big presentation and all that and they're willing to give you a couple thousand dollars yeah and i'll tell you make a wish has really become one of the I guess, primary uh, recipients to the Bach and Barbecue. And, you know, I, I know you've got some other charities involved and, and there's been some other charities in the past, but really Make-A-Wish, the thing that I have enjoyed about Make-A-Wish is just the real humanizing of it because the kids come. I mean, you get to actually meet and interact and engage with a lot of the kids. And that's unusual for a lot of these different fundraiser type events and they almost do that on purpose you know because you don't want to like bring it bring down the mood if you will but these kids are so inspirational they're they got more courage than anybody in that barbecue that's what's so amazing about it, is the inspiration they bring so talk to me about uh the the recipients you know some of the the nonprofits that you've helped in the past from in the beginning relay for life to modern day where you've just added the you know, the, the women empowering women and the backpack and the whole thing. I gave Make-A-Wish a plug, but, you know, I mean, there's there's other charities that have been involved, too. So so the reason the Bakken Barbecue started back in 2013 was because MBI had multiple Relay for Life teams raising money, kind of doing all that. Well, Jackie and I got together, and we wanted to raise the most money on our Relay for Life team. So we're like, what can we do? How can we challenge? And that's really what brought the Bauckham Barbecue together. So for the first two years, we wrote, we raised money for Relay for Life. And after that, we just felt that there was something else we could do, something different. Um, and one day, it must have just been fate, I received a Make-A-Wish calendar on my desk. And I remember running down the stairs to Jackie's office and showing her the calendar. And she's like, I'm in. That's great. So we've done Make-A-Wish for 
five, six years, Jackie. Um, yes. And then we started raising quite a few, you know, quite a bit of money. Um, and we felt that Make-A-Wish is a great organization. So we felt that we could help them, but we could also help other local charities. So last year um, we had put aside some money for some charities in Dickinson. Um, and one of them was Women Empowering Women. And I had never heard of it. I don't think many of our board had heard of it. And it's an organization that helps different groups in North Dakota. Well, when we donated, it was helping women that were in their 50s, 60s range that did not have the means to live month to month. They needed help with utilities or, you know, clothing, food, all that kind of stuff. So we felt that it's not just kids that need help. And I don't think people realize that, you know, there are other ages and other different groups that need help monthly to survive. That's so a great, we, that's a great point, by the way, there are a lot of people out there that, you know, life gets sometimes a little bit too fast for them and they just can't keep up, you know, they're, yeah. it's, it's, it's not their fault. You know, they're just one person trying to survive in the world and, when when things happen, it's very difficult. That's a great. Sorry, I just wanted to point that out because I've been hearing a lot more stories about people in their fifties and sixties that are just they're getting squeezed out. They they're they're yeah. having a hard time keeping up. So kudos for you know not just staying with the same old same old, but realizing that hey we're growing, so maybe we should grow our recipient list too. And Sorry, I just wanted to point that out. You can transition to the backpack program now. So, <laughs> Yeah, and then the other thing is, I mean, we just heard that children in Dickinson just were not getting what they needed at school. Um, I'm already on, I'm on API as well, and they donated a bunch of snacks, and it just seemed to be something the schools were struggling with. And, you know, it was an amount that we had in our account, and I don't know how you cannot not help those children go to school and they're hungry. I mean, that's a very extremely sad thing when kids don't get food. And how are they supposed to focus at school without food? And I'll let Jackie take it over. And I think, too, last year with COVID, you know, we've seen a lot of people in our industry, the oil and gas industry, as well as many other industries, lose their jobs, pay cuts, you know, all sorts of, financial hardships on families so a lot more families probably hit more of the poverty level I don't know any statistics but um, you know there was a lot more people that were signed up for different programs for assistance throughout communities so we kind of heard from other organizations that they were struggling to get sponsorships because you know these companies can't donate so it's nice to be able to give back when things like this come up because obviously nobody foresaw what 2020 was going to be and saw that, you know, kids were going to be struggling to have food or families to put food on the table. So it was really nice to give back in that aspect for something that, you know, we were all nervous about. But yet we could spin it in a good, positive note and help these kids and these families. I'm looking at your timeline of money raised, monies raised, and it's really interesting you know, 40000 the first year, which is fa- fantastic and, and just remarkable. Next year, 65000 
And then it just kind of stayed there. And then it dipped down during the uh, downturn a little bit. Then all of a sudden, from year six to seven, you went from 50,000 up to 100,000. Holy crap. Holy smokes. How did that happen? Yeah. What, 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 what happened there? <laughs> I, and even our attendance, Tiffany and I were talking the other day, our attendance was through the roof that year. I mean, everything about the eighth annual Bach and Barbecue was just phenomenal. I pretty sure I stopped breathing when I realized we were able to donate a hundred thousand to Make a Wish. I felt that we finally had reached that mark that we were trying to get over that sixty thousand. Right? We just couldn't do it for some reason. And Jackie and I and our whole committee—we, I mean, we just plowed through. We tried to get more companies. We tried to get more sponsors. We just tried to change the event and we did it. We finally reached that mark. And that was such an exciting time because I felt that we were moving in the right direction. This is a great, it showed. This is a great example of sometimes, you know, you're just kind of treading water or you might even take a step or two back, but then that springboard happens and then boom, you just go to that next level. And that's what happened here. I mean, I'm looking at this and going, 60, 50, and then up to 100,000, just boom. And then, you know, this year, 80,000 in a COVID year when every event was being canceled and everything else. So let's talk a little bit about some of the extra work that you guys went through. I kind of joked before, I remember just being on a few more phone calls with you guys because of the COVID stuff, and that never happened before. You guys don't usually bring me in on those types of things, but, you know, everybody had to be aware of what kind of some of the new guidelines were and just some of the social responsibilities that are going in with all the social distancing and all the other social buzzwords that were going around at that time. There was no outbreaks after the Bach and barbecue. There was no problem. So talk a little bit about some of the prep and then some of the aftermath that happened with this year's Bach and barbecue where you were able to raise $80,000 for three different charities. So we obviously had to move the Bach and Barbecue back from June to August, which was hard to do because we just didn't know at the time. And we made the call kind of early on. And I'm so thankful we did. And we just wanted to kind of see how the pandemic was going to progress. And um, when we chose a new date in August, we felt comfortable and confident that it would allow us enough time to research, you know, what guidelines we had to follow, kind of give the public a, a notice of what we were going to do to protect them, to protect ourselves. And we called the state offices. We called the Southwest Department of Health. You know, we wanted to make sure that we had this all covered. We talked to all the companies that were participating. And everybody felt comfortable because we put these necessary precautions in place so we could keep everybody protected. And I feel like the turnout was phenomenal, even though there was a pandemic going on. Tiffany, anything you want to add to that preparation and just kind of processing afterwards? Like Jackie said, we just really took an early step. I'm pretty sure it was April or March. And I remember calling Jackie and I said, we need to have a backup plan. You know, what happens if we cannot have this in June? And, you know, we just didn't even want to have that oh, shoot, we don't have a backup plan. We don't have a second date we can go to. 
And that was the first thing I remember calling the rec center saying, okay, we need, we need another date. What do you have? Give us anything you have. We'll take it. And I think we booked it right then and there. It wasn't even, it is what it is. We have to take it. And we're so thankful we did because we could have maybe had it in June. I don't think we would have had the turnout. I don't think we would have had the cook, the cookers. Um, you know, unfortunately we did lose 13 cookers from our original, we had 26 original cookers and then COVID hit and it, they dropped like flies and it's not because they didn't want to, you know, it was corporate making that decision. So that was really hard to see. And, you know, Jackie and I, every time one fell off, I was like, oh my gosh, can we even have this event? You know, what's, what's this event going to look like come August? And we just plowed through it, you know, we trucked through it and and it turned out in our favor and people loved it. People loved what we did. You know, we spaced everything. We had hand sanitizing and all that stuff. And they came out in full force to support us. So that really showed the community what this event means to them. Bach and Barbecue, of course, is more than just the two of you, the co-founders, Jackie Jenkins and Tiffany Steiner. Is there any uh, volunteers or people that have, you know, kind of, I know that there's, there's been a ton, but maybe there's been a few that have been there since day one or that have kind of go, go, gone above and beyond through the years. Any, any volunteers out there that you, you care to mention or are you guys looking for volunteers? Just talk to me a little bit about the volunteers that are involved with the Bach and Barbecue. So we have a committee. Um, and we've had a committee now four or five years, Jackie. Yes. And in the beginning, it was mainly MBI people. Um, and then we branched out because we wanted different perspectives of our event. We wanted different people. Um, so we have quite a few on our committee. Um, you know, we have Janine Tucker. She works at Dakota, oh, sorry, Dakota Community Bank. And she runs our raffle. She's amazing. You know, we have Hope Sticka, who does all of our accounting. She works at American Bank. Um, Angie Decker, she's a nurse. She just brings in this fire. I don't even know. She brings in this fire tour committee. And I can name so many. One of them, Karen Rodakowski, she's been on our committee since day one. And she's amazing. She runs our registration. So it's really amazing to look on what our committee does. You know, Kelly Braun, he just helps run everything smoothly the day of. He brings in the Make-A-Wish children. He does all that kind of stuff. Um, who am I forgetting, Jackie? Carolina. Carolina, yeah. she's our photographer. And last year, um, she just jumped in there. And she was with Tiffany and I during the whole event. And she captured everything. I mean, her photos were phenomenal. And we've had some other photographers, Crystal Kester in the past. Um, I can't think of who else we've had off the top of my head, but you know, our photographers we've had, we just have a new member that joined that was, was part of MBI and a big part of, of Bach and Barbecue in the early days, Art Brown. And it's so nice to have his sense of humor there. And he replaced one of our other members that want to step down, Carter Maynard, and Carter was great. He took care of everything the day of, all the logistics, and we're so thankful. And then we have uh, Kelsey, Kylan. She's a PA. She's amazing. And her sense of humor and, and her ideas, she just brings so many ideas to the table. 
um, Lexi Gabbard. Uh, she's been a good friend of mine, and she's a very strong-willed, and she's got great ideas. And then Mandy Jackson. Mandy's very well-known in our community, and she's an AFLAC agent. And her strong personality and her attention to detail is phenomenal. So everybody on our community just brings some, so much. And I just, we're so thankful for our group. You mentioned last year you guys were losing cookers, but in the past you've had some pretty exciting items from lobster to, you know, different types of briskets and ribs and chickens and et cetera. But talk about the cookers a little bit and, you know, do you need cookers this year? I, I assume you do. So make sure you put a call out for that. But then just some of the things over the years that you guys have seen from the cookers, whether it be food or colorful characters. I've seen whole hogs. I know you guys have had a whole hogs there before. We have had whole hogs. Um, it's very interesting. We always are looking for cookers just because we want our face or our space to be filled with as many cookers as we can fit. So we are definitely looking. We have about 15, 16 at this point signed up. Um, so we at least have 10 more spots. Um, I know I'm working with the police department, uh, and they've been cooking or taste testing for the past six months. Um, I cannot tell you what because it's pretty top secret, but it is amazing the amount of time that goes into the cooking. I know ND Energy last year was their first year cooking, and they came full force. I swear they had 25 employees there, and it was amazing. They That's all they talk about. Tanner said every week it gets brought up in their office. And I love to hear that because it makes me just as excited to hear that they are excited, you know, that we have brought something into their workplace that they can think about outside of work. I was just getting an email from the people over at RDO and the conversations back on to offer baked potatoes possibly this year. So I'm going to stay on that. If you guys are still interested in having a vegetarian offering this year at the Bakken barbecue, trying to expand the audiences and whatnot. Why not that idea? Yep. Yeah. You know, and and then you can go to other people's booths for your toppings, put the meat on there for the other, other booths. There we go. (laughs) Well, potato and go around a spot. Well, I remember that last year, just trying to figure out different ideas to get people to come because you're right, there, there was no, there, no idea what to expect because corporate wasn't allowing people and you had the whole mask debate and, and this and that. And you imagine people were just giving you donations and saying, hey, don't put our logo there, but here's some money. I mean, people were doing that. So it was, you couldn't predict last year. So anywho, but... Um, Let's talk a, a little bit about, I want to get to the next topic here on hand, which is your sponsors. So let's talk about the sponsors because they make the, the, the everything work and they are the ones that ultimately end up uh, driving the dollars, if you will. So uh, let's talk about the sponsors and are you guys looking for a big title sponsor, you know, type thing, the different levels involved and just how people can participate on the sponsorship level? Go ahead, Jackie. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, we are definitely always looking for more sponsors. Yeah, so some of our continual sponsors include Conoco Phillips, uh, JRA Rentals, ND Energy, Wyoming Casing, Martin Construction, WPX, Butler, 
Gravity, Wellpro, Bakken Supply, Denny's Electric, Ion Field Services, and um, there's several other that have really stood out over the past couple years, and that's just to mention a few, but we can't thank them enough. I mean, that's just dollar sponsors. We also have people that donate in-kind sponsors. So if anybody's looking to sponsor, we're still looking for more sponsors this year. Do want to ask you, let's transition real quick out of the Bach and Barbecue and into the gumbo for a second. That's coming up. Do uh, you got your information for the gumbo available, Tiffany? I do. Okay. So let's let's do a quick plug here for the API gumbo event coming up uh, since, you know, we have the two of you there. I, I don't know if you're involved, Jackie, or not, but you can certainly chime in if you would like to. But Tiffany, what's going on this year's gumbo? I understand it's a different time this year, a different, you guys moved the event uh, location and date. So let's talk about that. We are really excited for this year. We had to cancel last year due to COVID. Um, But last year, what we decided is we really needed a bigger space so we could have more teams, more cookers, you know, more fun, that kind of stuff. So we decided to move it to the West River Ice Rink Center. Um, and in order to do that, we had to push it later because of ice. Unless we want gumbo on ice, I don't think that sounds like a good idea. Um, <laughs> so we are having it Saturday, March 27th at the West River Ice Rink Center. Um, it starts at 6.30 is the public taste testing. We currently have 18 to 19 companies with a handful more um, that are looking to come in and cook. So it's going to be more of like a... You know, it'll be pipe and drape, so everyone has their own little area, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We have it mapped out. We're getting really full with the cookers. We also have um, live entertainment at 8.30. And 50-50 raffle, we're going to have some other kind of drawings. Um, it's just a lot of it's a lot of fun. You can tell there's a lot of camaraderie at this event. The teams like to get into that. You know, it's fun. They're right next to each other. They all get together with their decorations and costumes and all that kind of stuff. And when is it? That is March 27th at the West River Ice Center in Dickinson, North Dakota. Okay, so not too far away. Not too far away. And you are you are looking for cookers and sponsors still for the gumbo event for API? Correct. Yep, we can still take some more sponsors and cookers. Um, if they are interested, they can reach out to API Dickinson at gmail.com. And let's get back to the Bach and Barbecue. It looks, and by the way, I think I got a group of uh, Texas folk coming up. They want to show the Bach and people how real barbecue gets it done. I said, <laughs> bring it on. You bring it on. Bring your bravado up here to the Bach and we'll see if we can do it. So we might get a couple companies coming up from that. And, um, yeah, it should be a fun year. I'm really looking forward to this year. I think that it's going to be a very big social release for a lot of people, actually. I really do. I think a lot of people are really waiting to not only get outside, but get outside to events that they're used to and get outside and meet some people, some new folks, but also see some faces they haven't seen for a while. And I know every year when I go to the Bach and Barbecue, a lot of, lot, a lot of same faces, new faces too, but there's a lot of uh, kids that come, a lot of young families, and so it's a nice event. But let's kind of recap real quick. How can people get involved if they want to sponsor the Bakken Barbecue? 
if they can't, they, oh, go ahead, Jackie. If they want to um, participate in the Bakken Barbecue, they can reach out to us on Facebook. Just look up the Bakken Barbecue. Or they can send us an email at uh, BakkenBBQ at Hotmail.com. And we can send them the forms for registration and sponsorships or even volunteering. And cookers, Tiffany, how can cookers get involved? Cookers can do the same thing. They can reach out to us on Facebook. They can give Jackie and I a call. I think we have all of our information on Facebook. Or they can email us at BakkenBBQ at Hotmail.com. I mean, this is the year. I have a feeling this is the year that's going to beat the 7th annual. And I think it's going to be amazing. I know every company that cooked last year, they're looking at something bigger and better for their space. I know one of the companies wanted the whole side of the venue and they were excited. It was Wentz and Son, the ones that did the ice cream and they just were, they were in love with the Bach barbecue. And that is exciting to me when you see, like I said, ND Energy gets really excited. I know Wyoming Casing, they do an amazing job every year. They all do. But they all learn something from the event, and they take away, and they come back bigger and better. It's a little bit different, though, I think, you know, and you've got the element of the kids there, you know, so you get a, if you'd like to, you can talk and interact with many of the kids that are either recipients to the Make-A-Wish or are going to be. And like I said, these kids have got more courage than you and I do in our, in our little finger, you know. And so you have that inspirational side of things. But when you're a cooker and when you're involved with it, you get to talk to the local community. So what I really enjoy about the Bach and Barbecue versus every other oil and gas event I've been to, and I'm serious when I say this, the Bach and Barbecue is truly special because it brings a whole different connection that it's, it's pretty, it's almost like you get the same connection in a small town parade. And just, it's so different because it, it's such a unique connection. Have you guys t- really looked at that? I guess, intangible element about your event that really separates you from some of the others? I do feel that local feel of our event, and I agree with you. It's a very homegrown event, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is. It's, it, that's, what I mean. that's why I brought in that like parade feeling, because a parade can be bigger than life, but it still has that kind of that folksy feel to it. You know, it's just so different, but... Uh, all right. Well, anything that we uh, missed? Anything that we want to reiterate? Any kind of final thoughts here as we as we wind down? I mean, definitely our Bakken barbecue. I know Jackie and I are normally the spokesperson, but our Bakken barbecue is successful because of you, Jason. Because of the cookers, the sponsors, everyone that comes, everyone that you know donates the garbage cans and the water and all that stuff. It really makes our event what it is and makes what we can give back to Make-A-Wish and local area charities. I mean, it's not just Jackie and I. I mean, there's no way we could do this without, it really does take an army. That is not a fake saying by any means. No, not at all. I mean, just how amazing, I think, reiterating our community is. It's not just the Dickinson community. It's the Southwest community. It's the Bakken community. It's anybody oil and gas, and it's even our locals now. It's everybody that takes the time to help us in any form that attends the event, that cooks for the event, that sponsors, that um, interviews us. It's everyone, and it just makes our event so amazing. 
and so much fun and so great, so awesome to be part of. All right, I do want to have one last question for the two of you, by the way. Um, and this could be anybody from your mother to uh, your uh, teacher to somebody you worked with, but you know, it's it's Women's History Month, and just wondering if the two of you, if there's anybody in your life that has uh, you know influenced you or empowered you or anybody you care to mention that has uh, you know helped you out along the way to be who you are right now. You know, Jason and Jackie and I were actually talking about this today, and I was like, gosh, I really don't know about this question, how to answer it correctly. And then it dawned on me. I don't have just one person that has affected me that way. I surround myself with very strong women. I surround myself with Jackie, Karen Rodakowski. All my friends are very strong women, as well as all the aunts and my grandma and my mom and my family. I just, that's who I surround myself with to make myself a better woman in this world. Jackie, you care to add anything on that? I mean, that was a pretty good answer, so it's tough to top that. I know that. (laughs) You know, when you mentioned that question to us yesterday, I kept thinking, and I thought about when I was young, And when I was young, I always looked up to my grandma so much because she worked two to three jobs and she had this wonderful lifestyle and I watched her work so hard so she could retire early. And um, I always tell my grandma, I say, Grandma, why do I always feel like I always have something to do? And my grandma goes, you just need to stop and take a breath and realize those things will always be there tomorrow. And so I've really always looked up to her, but as the years have went on and um, I've been introduced to more people, I've realized that, as Tiffany says, that it's not just one person that makes me who I am today. It's so many different females that I surround myself with. I love being around women that enjoy working hard and having a career and making the most of what they're doing and pushing themselves to learn more and I can definitely say Tiffany is one of them. I was thinking just before you called about the first time I saw Tiffany, she was standing in front of, she was at MBI and she was in front of the HR manager's office. And I remember looking and all I remember thinking about her is how confident she seemed and how nice she seemed. And I was like, oh, I hope someday I can interact with her. And, you know, just having somebody like that to grow off of, to bounce ideas off of, I mean, Tiffany and I have made it almost the further than most marriages have. We're going on 10 years <laughs> together at this point. So it's been awesome to be with somebody like Tiffany and stand beside her, to get up on stage, to do these interviews. So I'm really thankful to have Tiffany in my life and to be here doing this event with her. I just couldn't imagine my life without her. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at The Crude Life.
music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River With Jason Spies. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota, United States Senate. Talking to Jason Spies, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk about Women's History Month. Every March since 1987, Congress and U.S. presidents have designated this month as Women's History Month. This year, the Crude Life celebrates and honors their accomplishments and vital contributions in history with interviews and stories that center around women's experiences in industry. These women are not only modern-day leaders, but they are truly historic as well. This is Tiffany Wilson, Vice President of Aries Buildings, as she shares a story how Aries, Target Hospitality, and Permian Lodging all worked together during the recent Texas storm. This is another example how the oil and gas community, often during crisis, competition becomes cooperation. This is Tiffany Wilson. So there's still people without power started, gosh, it's been so many days, um, we've been Orla all the way to Midland, Carlsbad had power for the most part, I believe, um, but most of the Permian Basin went without power, I know in the lodging camps, in the beginning when it first started, you know, it went with the water, the, the water went before the electricity went, and it went freezing pipes, busted pipes, and you know, I think the sales side of some of us first one that went out you know you kind of get excited um and that's just the truth of it you know I always tell the truth um but then the second one would go out then we would all go out and you know at that point it was kind of a survival mode where um yeah we all ended up standing together and um by yesterday we were all seeing where we could throw rooms at you know I was on the phone last night with one of my competitors, and we were putting rooms in a whole different camp that wasn't even ours. 
we worked uh, very closely with Target Hospitality and Permian Lodging. And uh, they were the owners all the way to the maintenance were amazing. Um, you know, Brad Archer from Target Hospitality reached out and she said, whatever, you know, before theirs went down too at that point, um, you know, he didn't care at that point. He was willing to put all of us up. We've, uh, we've had a pretty rough time. To listen to the full-length interview with Tiffany Wilson or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Please join us all month long as we celebrate Women's History Month here at The Crude Life. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com.